0: all right, I've tried to film this ad maybe 15 times. So whatever we come up with now is what is going to go on the podcast. I appreciate that that's completely unprofessional. But you know, when it's an ad for your own company, you can get away with these things. So today's podcast is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia, the number one caffeine supplement in the world, uh, according to me who owns the company. And I've tried a lot of caffeine supplements and you know, caffeine drinks and, you know, I'm a big caffeine guy. And this is definitely the best one I've ever had. Uh, It's got heaps of benefits. So it's batch tested. So it's safe for professional athletes and semi-professional athletes to use. Um, It's also great for recreational athletes like me, um, pub athletes like my mate Pony, um, who anyone that knows me would know very well. And yeah, it's just great. I remember I first tried it, during the 2015 NRC, we played something like three games in 12 or 13 days or something ridiculous. And we had a 7 p.m. kickoff in Manly. So we leave. We left Melbourne at 7 a.m. And I just remember feeling exhausted leading up to the game, as anyone in their right mind would. Well, maybe not anyone, but I definitely was. And I remember the boys having this chewing gum before the game. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's this? And I like, try some, try some. And I went from being... Completely annihilated to feeling like I could run through a brick wall in about five seconds. Uh, Been hooked on it ever since. We send it to professional sporting teams in Japan, all over Australia, New Zealand. Um, And anything you buy there helps support the podcast, which I really appreciate. And um, yeah, that's enough shameless self promotion for today. We've got a spectacular guest, so we may as well just get straight into it. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I have really look forward to seeing you guys each and every week, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. So, for those that don't know me, my name's Duncan Chubb. I'm the Ford's coach for Southern Districts in the Shoot Shield for 2022. And on this week's episode, I sit down with the Scrum coach for Hawks Bay, uh, Mr. Francisco de Formas. I hope I said that right, brother, um, to talk about all aspects of Scrum coaching. So, um, Francisco has a great story. He's from a non-traditional rugby country like Chile and has worked his way into the upper echelon of the New Zealand provincial uh, teams, which is you know, a great story on its own. But he knows what he's talking about. He's a really good coach and has taught me some things already and he has a really good take on on scrummaging and how to coach scrummaging. Um, so what we did is we sat down and we talked all aspects of scrum coaching and it was a lot of fun. So I hope you learned a thing or two um, please send me any messages if you've got any queries on, on some of the stuff we talked about. I'm happy to go into more detail if people want that. And um, let's just get straight into it. So without further ado, please enjoy this chat about scrummaging with the Hawks Bay scrum coach, Mr. Francisco De Formas. Mate, how are you?
1: I'm good, mate. I'm good, mate. Just um day off-ish, you know, you know, is you know, never, never a full day off. During the NPC. So, but.
0: what do you So You're, you're the scrum coach for Hawke's Bay. Do you do any other area of the game as well? Not officially. <laughs> yeah, but it's always the way I eh? see. So you put your hand in the mall and do
1: a bit of line out stuff as well. I like to contribute, you know, help the other coaches in those areas. And uh, sometimes I run the Sharkies. I, we call them the Sharkies, who are the, who are the reserves. Um, yeah. Like when they need to emulate future position yeah uh yeah my area area of expertise and responsibility at the moment is the scrum and so,
0: mate how did you end up in hawks bay so you're from you're from chile originally is is that accurate
1: yeah i'm from chile born and bred <laughs> mate, yeah.
0: I, I know some crazy chileans mate
1: yeah i told you that then and stay away from them
0: <laughs> <laughs> i try to
1: <laughs> it's fun but it can get you in trouble
0: <laughs> oh ain't that the truth
1: <laughs> we know how to have fun mate you know,
0: so, so yeah, but how would you end up in Hawk Space? So, did you you obviously played rugby? Yeah. Did you play in the front row? Obviously.
1: Yeah, I don't look like a front rower now, but that's yeah. probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I mean, some 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 front rowers lose weight after they retired, and some some front rowers go bigger. So, I chose the you know the losing weight path and. You know, I'm about 10, 12 cages lighter than when I used to play. So
0: I bet you feel better.
1: Yeah, I feel better. Man, this is my more of a natural weight. I always can of over over train over did everything to be heavy enough to play in the front row. Yeah. Mm, but yeah. but how'd
0: you how you get over to New Zealand? Like talk talk to me about that. Because that's a big like that's a big move.
1: Yeah, that's uh well, it's I went all around. So I play rugby in a lot of places. Uh, one of my trips overseas was uh, playing mm-hmm. club rugby in Northland, in New Zealand. Yep. And uh, I had a um, couple, I think one preseason game for Northland. I didn't make the team, but I was in a wider training group for the whole season. But anyway, then I went overseas again. I went back to Chile. I went to the States. I went to England and I finished playing in England. And, um,
0: Where'd you play over there?
1: I played for a couple of clubs. Uh, well, the first time I went over there, I went to an amateur club called Mounts Bay, um, a club that doesn't exist anymore in Cornwall. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I had a short stint in Plymouth Albion in the second yep. division.
2: I've heard of them. In, yep.
1: Yeah, got injured and then had to go back to Chile. And then my last two years, I played for the Cornish Pirates in the Championship. Okay. Yeah, which yeah. is. A- but my last my last season, I cannot say I played too much. I was injured all the time.
0: So is that when you kind of made the switch into coaching, like while you were playing, or?
1: Well, I'm am a qualified PE teacher, so I, I went to university before uh, starting traveling around the world. Yeah, I wanted to get my degree. I always kind of knew that I was going to get into coaching. I liked too much the sport and the teaching side of that. You know, kind of my favorite favorite teachers in school were the P.E. teachers, you know? Yeah, my yeah. P.E. teachers used to play for the club, so I used to go and watch them on the weekends, and, and somehow I wanted to be one of them at some point. So, and then when I... So, so between my travels, I went back to Chile for a couple of years, and I worked as a P.E. teacher and coach, rugby coach at school, so I gained a lot of experience through that. And, um, yeah, my last year in Congo, I actually... Did the level level two? I think there was level one. They give it to you because I was playing professional rugby, and the level two on the UKCC rugby coaching I did yeah. over there. So that's kind of like when I started my transition, uh, which is a different world. Some people think it's really easy to switch from player to coach. Not easy. It's not easy. Well, you're you're experiencing it right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was it. And well, I finished playing over there and I decided to travel around the world a little bit. So I went to the States, um, south of Florida to help a friend uh, coach a really amateur club over there, the Naples Hammerheads. So oh, yeah. A very, a very nice place of the country.
0: I could imagine.
1: But, yeah. And then I went to travel to Asia. I spent quite a few time in Hong Kong. that I know that you played over there. Yeah. An awesome place, Hong Kong. <laughs> Two- crazy, <laughs> a crazy
0: place. <laughs>
1: yeah, my, one of my best uh, friends from Chile actually lives in Hong Kong. He's been living there for about 10 years. And um, so I went to spend some time with him and his family. Yeah, Went to Vietnam, Thailand. The, the, the typical trip that everyone does at 21 or 22, finishing college or something like that i was 36 yeah staying at backpackers and i was you know 10 12 13 years older than everybody Uh, but yeah i I had fun and then when i that year 2016 2016 yeah i went back to hong kong spent christmas and new year and then a Chilean friend that was living he lives in new zealand and he's a farmer um, in northland and he was playing club rugby over there told me you want to come to New Zealand? And I was like, well, yeah. Well, he said, well, come over here. You might end up, you know, coaching the club I'm playing. Yeah. I went over there and started coaching Midwestern rugby club in Northland. Yeah. Um,
0: so Northland's really farm country, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah. I was going to say Manga Kramia is a really, really, really small farming community, 20 minutes out of Bangare.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, yeah, I started coaching there, Club Rugby. It um, was good fun. Uh, so you, you need to be coaching to develop, you know, so. Yeah. And then I, I volunteered to do an internship in Northland Rugby Union through kind of an s and PE, s strength and conditioning thing. Yeah. So I put my first uh, foot into Northland Rugby through that. I started helping the trainer over there and then I started having conversations with the head coach and at some point he told me, "Um, so I I might need a scrum coach uh, during the season and we went for a coffee, I remember that morning, eh, afternoon, like 12 p.m. because I was in the gym in Northern Rugby Union, he said to me, oh, just go for a coffee, said I might, might want to have a scrum coach during the season and we're doing a scrums tonight. Do you want to do the session? And I said, like, yes, I'll give it a go. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so I did that, and he kind of liked it, and started from that. So I, you know, worked a full year as an intern, you know, and then the second year, they gave me a contract. Okay. So I did that two years with nothing, and then at the end of that year, my contract expired, and I think I was ready to move on, and this job in Hawke's Bay came on, was advertised. I applied, and here I am three years after (laughs) mate what
0: How? like the kiwis are very got a lot of kiwi friends so let me just preface by saying that but you're not from like a traditional rugby country not at all Were, were they welcoming like were they accepting of you
1: i feel yes to be honest i feel yes uh you you're very right um my my country has no tradition in rugby whatsoever it's all individuals that have played overseas, or you know, we don't have a strong rugby team, although you know, we had a very good result against Canada on the weekend. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, we lost by one point or something like that. And so we're playing the second the second game on, on Saturday. And um, yeah, the Kiwis were you know how the Kiwis are, especially in Ozland, they're really easy going, you know, and when I you know coach club rugby. They were all right. I, I brought new things into the rugby because uh, the Kiwi rugby is very good, but there's just one way of playing the game. And um, I guess the fact that allowed me to escalate a little bit through the ranks is because my expertise is scrums. And I think that's the only thing that the Kiwis as a as country accept that they don't, You know, don't enforce that much. Really? Yeah, I mean, they have very good... I mean, the Old Rags has a superb scrum. Super rugby and provincial rugby, they have very good scrummaging. But then through the community... um, Drops
0: down significantly after the professional ranks.
1: Yeah, because the philosophy around scrums is not the same that other parts of the world. So over here, it's uh, a platform to restart the game most of the time.
0: probably... It's the same here, really. Yeah,
1: well, kiwis or Aussies or they want to play. You want to play rugby, so ball in, out, ball in, push a little bit and out, solid scrum and out uh, through schools, clubs, and all that. Um, It's not like, for example, in Europe, in England, especially the second division, the one I played, is all about scrummaging. Yeah, like you use it for as a weapon. uh, You know, the philosophy around scrums is dominating. Is you know, is the heart and soul of the team.
0: How much do you think, and I've got a theory on this, but I'd love to know what you think about it, is the, the mental side to scrummaging, how important is that? Like if you're from a, a culture or a team that prides itself on having a dominant scrum to not just win the ball back but to really assert dominance on the opposition, like, like do you do you believe that that's an important part of it? What do you think? I think it is. Because I, I think like something that separates some of the teams in Australia is having that mentality that we we are a scrummaging team, like we dominate scrums, and, and they may or may not be technically better, but I feel that having that mentality gives them an edge that actually makes them better.
1: At scrum time, I think when you have a decent scrummaging team. So probably at provincial level or shoot shield in Australia, uh, they're going to be decent at scrum time. So they know the basics. Then the mentality will be, pff, I'll say, a 90% thing of how good you, you can become. Yeah. Because how keen they are to scrum, it will make a big difference. Because at the end of the day, of, although there's a lot of art in scrumaging, it's quite basic, you know, you have to I have agree. a good, good, strong shape, good connections, be strong in that, you know, like know when to push, have good timing and blah, blah, blah. There's a domino, you know, that You have to follow to have a good scrum. Yeah. But it's always the same or it varies a little bit. So if you don't like it, if you don't really, you're not really keen to do it. Well, how are you going to get better? You know what I mean?
0: Okay, so just say hypothetically you walk into a totally new team that doesn't pride themselves on their scrummaging.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like how, how do you – so I'm lucky in my situation. Our club at Southern Districts, they love scrummaging. For the last 10 years, like when I, when I first came here, we had four wallaby props.
2: Okay, wow.
0: And, and a serious scrummaging culture. And to this day, the best scrums I've ever had in my life were playing second grade versus first grade at training.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: you know, Brumbies props, uh, Waratah tight end props. You know, I've to this day the hardest scrums I've ever had. But if you're a coach that's walking into a situation that's that's not like that, how do you do? You have anything you do to try and create that, or have you been pretty lucky in that regard as well?
1: I've been pretty lucky, but I do believe that you have to sell whatever you're doing to the boys in order to buy. it. Yeah. The- you know, and, 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 you know, like in, in at this level, the boys, they want to be very good at scrum. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because in the Hawks Bay, you know, the boys are really keen. But, you know, it's so, I think the front rowers have to drive it, have to help you drive it. If you have those props and hookers that are really, really big fans of scrummaging, that they should be because that's their main reason why they're in a rugby field. Yeah. And they will, they will, you know, how do you say them um, they bring will every,
0: bring everyone with them kind spread of
1: spread that spread that you know feeling and vibe around the forward pack?
0: It's the same no. as you
1: know when you go to line out you see that the callers are gonna be the locks or the loose forwards and they're gonna be, you know, keeping everybody accountable, telling people, you know, oh, you're telling the props you're missing your lift, you're missing this and you're missing that. Okay, for me it should be the the opposite way around when it comes to scrammaging, you know? Yeah. So that will be it. And then also your, your ability to communicate and explain things properly and give a clear direction, be a good leader in that space, will, of, of course, impact on, on how keen the boys are.
0: So we've, we've got an interesting situation at shoot shield level. So I imagine with Hawks Bay, you've got uh, roughly two forward packs that are pretty equal. Like there's obviously the starting team might be slightly better Mm-hmm. but generally speaking, it's a, is it a relative, relatively even standard when you do your live scrummaging stuff?
1: Uh, at this level, yes.
0: So, so at our level, we've got, um, we've got the Shoot Shield first-grade team who are basically professional guys. Like our front rowers could interchange into super rugby and fit in seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, second-grade, which is a drop-off, and then third-grade again. Like we have some very good front rowers, but in terms of like the the forward pack, there are technical deficiencies between first grade and third grade or even second grade that make it a very interesting coaching challenge. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, uh, f- from what I've seen, like I've only been coaching briefly, mm-hmm. but a lot of coaches tend to focus on the people that need the most help, mm-hmm. and they tend to neglect the guys that uh, are doing well and who probably still want that attention as well so that they can fully develop their potential yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you know what i mean so it's i guess what i'm trying to work out for our guys is how do how do you manage three Ford packs of varying degrees of talent give everyone the attention that they deserve and want and still not neglect anyone
1: wow that's a million dollar question mate <laughs>
0: it's it's what well, this is what i'm thinking right so um just stop me at any time. I'm just thinking it out loud. I'm you know, very fortunate to talk to you. But every time I see a coach coach a scrum, they tend to focus on the front row. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, the biggest improvement that you can make, particularly at this level, is in the back five mm-hmm. because they don't get coached. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my opinion. And I think uh, I don't feel it's out there to say that if your back five's functioning really well, you're probably going to have a good scrum. If your front row are reasonable. Yep. So what I was thinking is have the main coach run the session. Yep. So that he's looking at the system, are the, the back five sinking and squeezing at the same time. How's he engaged? Blah, blah, blah. And then you have a coach on either either forward pack yep. who are looking at the the flankers in the back five and just making corrections as they go mm-hmm. so that the one coach isn't doing everything. hmm and then you have, just say you got your third grade pack who are who are resting or working on the scrum machine. You'll have a coach there as well, that might be more conditioning based instead of like technical or tactical based. Mm-hmm. What, what do you reckon?
1: I, I reckon that's um, that's a very good way of putting it. So, for example, we here I have experienced players that help me. You know, yeah. so the, the front rows drive almost everything over here. They do the talking with their pack. So, for example, we do a scrum. And then we break, you know, one guy, one of the front rowers will review and, you know, give a couple of indications that side, you know, and the other side is going to be the same. I will just jump in when I see something specific. But in your case, uh, I think, yes, if you are looking on the main global thing and then you have a guy looking to others on other stuff that yeah. you need to work on or your guys need to work on is good. And then definitely, if you have a third grade team, which is really different to the other two, I will do just basic stuff with them all the time. So they need to understand first, how's the basics? Okay, this is scrambling in shape because probably you have guys in the third grade that arrive over there and they played their whole life as a l- winger. And they yep. got a little heavier, so they move into loose forward or a lock or whatever if he's tall enough.
0: It's a very interesting mix because some of the third grade guys end up in first grade because the the natural injuries throughout the season. All right. So you can't just not you can't not try and give them some coaching because you will need them eventually.
1: Yeah, of course. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course.
0: Um, but I get what you mean. So instead of just having them in the main group and and like for a lack of a better way of saying it, fucking up the, the session or collapsing scrums or whatever they're doing, just maybe more remedial type stuff and then build them up into it and then swap in player for player in a sort of tactical way.
1: Uh-huh. Because you said it before. So what happens with when the guys are are not to the level? What do you do? You bring these guys down or you try to bring these guys up?
0: Well, I, I feel like you've mean- got to bring everyone up.
1: Well, there you go. Understand? You have to the same and and in scrummaging, it was also when you have uh, but that's the thing that you know the reality of your uh, club so you might have guys that just started playing in the front row they have two weeks in there yeah we're not gonna make them scrum against the first grade yeah potentially risky you know yeah so i i don't know maybe you have don't know how long your pre-seasons are where we've you, got, we've we, got
0: two sessions before Christmas, and then I think it goes from like the end of February mm-hmm. to the start of April.
1: That's the preseason. Yeah, so or it might be the start five.
0: of February, start of February to
1: the start of April, yeah. So you, so you train twice a week?
0: Uh, So before Christmas, they're only going to do twice a week, but we're only going to do a couple of unit sessions just be, to give everyone a bit of a break. Mm-hmm. Um, So I'm planning on flogging the shit out of them. And then the uh, in the new year, it's one unit session a week. So so the way that they work it out is we'll have like a system day. So it'll be attack and defense team systems. Yep. Um, then we'll have like a, a unit day, you know, line outs, malls, scrums, the backs do whatever the fuck they do. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have like a like a skill skilled day, I think is what he calls it, whereas it's like um, breakdown, you know, sort of core skills.
2: Yep.
0: Um, so you really got one. I think we probably got, once we're into it, not 10 unit sessions. Mm -hmm.
1: But you still, so I will say that in that period, you have to level everybody up. Okay. So third grade or players that are new to the club, okay, we need to teach you boys. So the other guys, you probably have to coach them. These guys, you have to teach them, you know? No. Like, What's the
0: difference? What is the difference? Because I've heard I've heard other people
1: say this. Okay, so so on, a, a coaching is a process where you work with an athlete or a work of uh, you know or a group of athletes to kind of facilitate their learning, the improvement, and your ability as a coach is identify what they need rather than what they want, you know, and give yeah. them a program. So they can achieve what they really need. All right? That's coaching. Teaching on the other way. Well, and some people might disagree with me. You have to give information to players that they don't know, maybe, you know, and they can process it, integrate it, and perform it. You know what I mean? So you have the second and first grade guys that know what they're doing, sort of, and you have to help them to improve. Okay. So it's a process for us. And then as I'm saying before, let's say Johnny that was is 30 years old and he played center all his life. And now he got a little bit heavier because he's got two kids and, you know, it's too much and gain weight. And now he's okay. You're going to play, play in the loose forward. So, Oh, maybe you got a little heavier. You're going to play a hooker. Okay. He needs to learn. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he has no idea of how to bind or what's you've seen in even an international level when they, pull a back into with
0: the flank yeah. and
1: he doesn't know how to bind. So, you know, yeah. so those guys, that will be my thing. I like, boys, you know, you, okay. You can't assume they know because, you know, the level is, this there. So I, that's what I will do. So I will identify. Okay. Psh, and I will do two separate sessions or have two coaches. One for these guys doing shape connection, you know, basics, teach them, you know, with the scrum machine, how to set up, blah, blah, blah. And try to, i agree
0: totally with you this this is what i was thinking um actually what's your view on on using video as a coaching tool
1: i think it's massive mate
0: but do you do it during the session so if the boys go i want to stop and look at the video will you do it during a session
1: not i mean if you had if i had a tv like outside and like we could do it probably we'll do it but Maybe in the preseason, I will do it more. But at this stage of the season, the boys kind of know what they're doing. So we'll review afterwards. Okay. You know? Yeah,
0: because uh, I feel like oh, I've I watched a lot of Mike Cron stuff and I know yeah. that he goes, uh, if the boys want to watch it on the video, we'll do it immediately.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and I'm thinking, I know a lot of the guys, if, if we give them that option, they'll go, ah, oh, that's a rest. Mm-hmm. You know, so you take out the conditioning element of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, there you go. So... Mm-hmm. But that's, that's a very good um, question you're, you're doing to yourself because um, the art in the coaching is how to apply what you know to your group. Yeah. So you cannot apply the all-blacks training to your team. Well, I, like I, just, exactly I, know,
0: I know that they would take uh, – because I would. I'd go, oh, this fucking dickhead's giving us a rest. Right. You know
1: There you go. But but, okay. but there you go. So no no for the moment no. Maybe you if you have a guy that helps you because it's really hard to be the guy filming and coaching. Yeah. Somebody that helps you, you know, you do a set of I don't know five minutes of scrummaging or whatever, and then you show them afterwards or in between. Okay, now we're gonna rest, boys. Yeah. Talk to me, what do you think? Okay, let's gonna have a look now uh -uh. okay okay you know so there's many ways to structure it you know so it
0: just depends on your team so i guess what i was thinking and it was only thinking because i'm i'm still trying to work it out I, i imagine that there's no best way of doing it but you can only try and do your best yes so what i was thinking is is you don't actually get to watch the video camera during the game so if you're if you're trying to make training as game specific as possible Mm-hmm. you probably give them uh, very little chance to stop and talk about a scrum. Mm-hmm. So only me thinking out loud here. You probably wouldn't show them any video during training, but if you wanted to give them any corrections or coaching, you, you might do that in a before training session or an after training session going, hey, next session I want you to work on this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. These are the drills we'll do to fix your your setup on your bind or your, you know, your foot positioning's off or your, your second rope bind's not right. And instead of, if you can correct it on the run during training, obviously you do it, but you don't stop and make major changes during training.
1: Well, I agree. And um, that's your ability as a coach to identify how your players uh, learn or adjust better. And then but depending on the group because for example if you go somehow in 5 years and coach super rugby you know that the players are used to stop and review every scrum
2: yeah you
1: know they don't need the conditioning because they are already conditioned okay yeah. they are very smart they know a lot what they're doing so they need that visual feedback to correct things apart from what you're telling them all right which is not the case for a lower level club or whatever because as you said they need the conditioning they probably the brain is full of other stuff they went through the day and they just want to go and do the job and you tell them what to do so they can correct. And then probably the benefit is going to be better from a video okay. sent through WhatsApp afterwards and have a chat with them. So it's all, to be honest, you, you're going to hate this word, but it's depends. It's always, it, it always depends. <laughs> you do you know, know the only good answer is it depends, I reckon. It depends. The boys hate that. Oh, what are we going to do if this and this happens? Well, it depends. Depends depends, you know, it's always um, depend on situation, on the context. And so coaching is very depending on things, you know, the, the athletes you coach, you as a coach, what are your, you know, strengths or what are your weaknesses, the context, you know, are you coaching on the community, amateur, social, you know, side, or you are a performance, even high performance, professional sports how many times do you have with the boys? It so all depends. It all depends, man. <laughs>
0: how how important is the the system? So just say I I know we spoke you, you've, you know I played front row for a long time and very rarely do you learn something new. But you've taught me a couple of things that I didn't know this week. So I'm super grateful for that, <laughs> Mate, Uh How important is this? What's that? I didn't invent it myself. No, no, I know. But you're sharing it. You're sharing it, and you <laughs> oh. know I I. You know the, you know I've been lucky enough to speak to guys like Pat Lamb and Wayne Smith, and the people share, and I think that's the great thing about rugby, yep. is that you know sharing often helps you come up with ideas as well. Yep. How how yep. important is the system? So um, when you when you're coaching a scrum, I, I watched uh, the clips you sent me for Hawks Bay, mm-hmm. and you know the Springboks have the the double knee system for their back five; they're all nice and square and tight. You know, they're lifting, they're trying to get through the point of contact or engage. So there's there's a system there, but it's different to what the All Blacks do yep. and a, a little different to what the Wallabies do as well. Yep. How, how important is a system in coaching a scrum, do you think?
1: I think it's it's important. A lot of it is really important, but there's no, as we talked before, there's no right or wrong and there's no, I don't think is a better one compared to the other it's it's just you you like my a mate of mine you know paves alan paver which you should talk to him afterwards he's a yeah. really good coach and it, he was telling me the scrum is a is like a water cylinder that you you're gonna you know put your hand is gonna leak through the side you're gonna put your, your hand over here it's gonna leak through your side so so the system will a different system will give you something and take something from, from some other part. You know what I mean? So yes. we talk about, you know, the locks stand, starting on the knees. Yes, that's awesome. But uh, what we were saying, now the front row has to sit back a little bit yeah. to keep the connection with the locks, you know, so when they crouch. Because if they crouch and go forward, there's a disconnection here from the shoulder, okay? Because the guys mm-hmm. are on the knees. You know what I mean? And what yes. it happens is that Okay, if you have to do that, maybe the other team is going to put a lot of pressure on you on the crouch and even before the bind just to, you know, <laughs> cramp you it. to sit back. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Okay, so that, that would be one, for example. Um, I don't know, for example, in, in Hawks Bay, we, our locks don't go to the ground. They just, you know, they stand up, split stance, connect the shoulder, and as I said before, that allows our locks to roll forward with the front row before the bind, but maybe our locks are always a little bit higher than the other ones because we so never go to the ground.
0: The problem we found with that system is that when guys got tired, they were adjusting their feet differently every time. There you go. Or they'd forget to adjust their feet, so that when um, you know when we're trying to engage, many times our second rollers are actually moving their feet backwards on the engage. Mm-hmm. Which I think, if you look at all the different systems. The things that they have in common is that when you're crouched by on the bind, everyone's feet set and you're all ready to go to engage forward. I feel like there's a there's a common theme there.
1: Yeah, 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 of course, because we want to hit the scrum on a good position with both feet on the ground. But then, for example, the way they referee it's also another factor that influences a lot on scrummaging. Yes. Like, for example, in New Zealand, they enforce the gap all the time and, you know, keep your balance, which is a good thing. So you're always going to have a good hit, you know, so you allows to have good, for example, the split system that you have more movement. But for example, in other places of the world that you can lean against each other a lot, maybe both knees on the ground on the yeah. log is better, you know, because you're already putting pressure forward. You don't mind do, that.
0: Do you no? think, and I, since we talked the other day, I, I was thinking about this a lot and I feel like, uh, obviously, the referee comes into it. The conditions come into it. But I feel like um, your athletes probably come into what system you use as well. Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah,
0: like yeah. I've, like for, for our guys at Southern Districts, I think that the South African system of scrummaging would actually suit them because we're a bigger pack. Uh-huh. And, and I, I, like everything that they do just makes sense for us. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're more, maybe a lighter pack and you need to be able to get a little bit more forward and have that shoulder connection with your second rowers and maybe a split stance would be better for that, it potentially?
1: Might be, it might be, it might be. You know, it might be that you have more space between the gap and then you can hit, you know, and use speed to, just to try to catch him off guard mm. with pressure. Maybe, you know, if, if, I don't know how the referee should, you know, at your level. If they, they, they allow you to pre engage and you have a big pack, yes, go go that go and use that, mate. You know, mm-hmm. the, the hips, the hip connection with the locks is as important as, as the shoulder connection of the props. And they, I think we were talking about this the other day. So, there's two ways of thinking it. Like here in New Zealand, the most of the coaches will benefit the front row connection of the shoulders because that's what hits the scrum, yeah, other than the hip connections of the front rowers for the locks to be connected right other places it's all about the connection between the locks and the front row
0: yeah and
1: they don't mind those difference over here the
0: different heights with the say yeah. I, like, I like everyone at the same height the middle five are all at the same level the front row are all at the same level because i feel like if the whole point of a scrum is to transfer the maximum amount of force onto the opposition, mm-hmm. if your hips are up here, I'm down here, and the next guy's up here, it's not going to be the most efficient transference of force.
1: It's not. That's, that's
0: my logic anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, but there's some teams that get away with not having that massive, um, you know, connection, for example, between the locks and the hooker. Uh, because, you know, the, the locks, you know, stay with the prop. The hooker hooks a lot. I don't know in, in Australia... If you have massive hooks or not, here in New Zealand, you have we always have a really clear strike on the ball. So the hooker will turn the hips and potentially that can drop his hip and the front and the lock can go a little bit higher in there. Yeah. Uh, but as as I said before, you know, I I, I do I, I do agree with you on, on the connection between the, the the back five and the front row is massive. Uh, but some of the teams are not really that interested in that, you know, they will say, well, okay, let's get our massive props connected with a hooker and they're strong enough to have just, you know, the lock and the loose forward working with them. Our hooker will be a little bit loose in between of them and we'll go forward anyway. Okay. How
0: do you review a scrum? So if you're looking at a, if you're looking at a team, so who goes you guys playing next week? Is it uh, Tasman. Tasman? Tasman. So obviously very good, good very- team, very good pack. Mm -hmm. um without giving anything away how how do you how do you how do you break them down so that you can go to your guys all right this is what we're going to do this way
1: so 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 the first thing we do is preview the front row who do they have and what what are their trends okay so i do that myself i just watch tons and tons of footage of them and then the boys do it and we have a meeting and we say we have for example duncan over here okay what does this guy do? All right, he's a really strong bind. Okay, he's a little bit tiny, so he attacks a hooker all the time. If he's a uh, tight head, blah blah blah. Any trends? All right. And Peter here, have, have you guys played against him before? Yeah, he's quite good. High setup. You know, he's not very strong on the bind. So we have a kind of good conversation about the front row. Yeah. And then we analyze a couple of trends. Do they have as a pack? All right. So what do these guys do? Are they a team that? like gap and hit, do they have a very connected, for example, hit is a back to front hip or it's just a hit or is the kind of the front row, this a kind of a discoordination, disjointed. Yeah. Yeah. Disjointed. Uh, do they hit and they wait three seconds and the ball's in or they wait a little bit more mm-hmm. and then the ball's in. Okay. Because some teams do that. Some teams vary uh, the timing of the ball in. Yeah. Uh, do they, do they scrum for penalties or they just hook and then they play? All those things, all those trends um, are quite important.
0: Yeah. So once you've gotten that familiarity, because familiarity breeds confidence in my opinion. Yeah. So they know what the props are doing. They know what the system is. They know what their tendencies are. H- how do you attack them?
1: Okay. But that's, that's the thing. So, all right. So, okay. These guys have the locks. Both knees on the ground. Yeah, all right. So what can we do, boys? All right, probably we have to load a little bit on, on the bind as, as much as the referee can allow us because that's going to cramp the front row. I'm going to put them in a shit position. Okay, let's do that, boys. All right. Um, these guys, we see a trend that, for example, defensive scrums, so the opposition ball, they kind of clock off. You see the loose forwards getting disconnected. Well, you might as well you know, leave it in there and we go for a penalty. Right. Yeah. Okay. So things like that. Mm-hmm. Things like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's just sort of tailoring your tactics around what they show you.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So it's 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 like everything, I guess, uh, Duncan. You know, you have to know what your strengths are. You have to know what your weaknesses are. You're not. And if you see any weaknesses or things that you can exploit in your position, try to target them, but without forgetting your basics and your stuff. Properly, Because sometimes in all the areas of the game, I, I, I see that sometimes it's too much focus on the opposition. And although you need to know what they're doing and what they can bring Fucking, to the game.
0: I agree with you so much on that.
1: It's, it's, yeah. it's more about you being good at what you do.
0: I, I agree with you totally about how teams tend to focus too much on, on the opposition and not enough on you just executing your roles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So even at the elite level, that's still something that they look at.
1: Yeah, well, it's... Um, as everything, you know, that's, um, there's many ways, this is a British saying, probably you also, but not here in New Zealand, there's many ways to skin the cat, but as long as the boys know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, which way are we doing things, we know it, like we believe it, yeah. we execute it. it is way better than having an awesome plan and not knowing too much. And, you know, not be, really being confident that this is going to work. You know what I mean? Like I think, um, George Patton used to say, a good plan executed violently now is way better than an excellent plan executed next week, you know? So as long as you know what you're doing, and not you, like the forward pack, and you believe in that, and you execute it like yeah. full on, that's always going to be way better than getting to some sophisticated things and that the boys don't really know, you know? So... That's that's my philosophy around anything that, that you do, I guess. And the more you know about it, the better you understand it. For example, if the boys, if your boys start understand, understanding, you know, scrummaging as a whole thing, they're going to start liking it more, you know? And when you like it and you start yeah. doing it properly, you start loving it. And then when you love it, it's you're never going to stop doing it, you know?
0: what's your what's your thoughts on scrum machines
1: well uh that's a good question that's a when i used to play in england there was no scrum machines (laughs) there was no scrum machines like all the time was just okay boys we have 20 forwards over here we're gonna scrum like scrum training was it's scrum boys when i came to new zealand they have a big culture on Primers and 1v1s and 2v1s and 3v2s and all the drills for scrummaging, and then scrum machine was always part of that. So I had to adjust a little bit, okay? I start using it again because in New Zealand the referees, when I arrived, they were really enforcing like the gap. I, I I think it has some benefit on that because you you practice your speed, you know, you practice your timing. It has some benefit. Um. When you work with younger guys, guys that don't, for example, if you, when I go to schools over here, that they're not as knowledgeable as they should sometimes. And for example, they have problems with the setups. A scrum machine is awesome because they can set up against something, you know? And then you can practice the hit and everything. And although it's artificial because nobody's hitting against you, it has some benefit. I wouldn't make it. The 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 I do use it here because the boys I don't, I'm not gonna say they like it, but they they see you know a couple of hits the scrum machine to practice the speeds is, is quite all right. But I won't make it the bulk of yeah. what training. Uh, you know, if you okay. have two backs, better you know to scrum against each other.
0: So you mentioned primers and one on ones and two on twos and three on threes and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know your your opinion on that because. Uh, I, I personally think that there's some benefits to warming up obviously with one-on-ones and then three-on-threes, but you know how they split the scrum in like a loose head hooker versus a tight head second row. Mm-hmm. I, I, You know, you're not really doing that in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think unless you've got a really good group of players who are actually getting something out of it and it's really specific to what you're trying to achieve for your tight head, maybe I don't, I don't, really see the benefit of it i'd love to know your thoughts on
1: it okay so okay primers has the benefits if you ask me in younger players that need to learn uh, absorb and perform and feel what a good scrum shape is for example if i was coaching younger kids or even you know 17 18 years old yes primers they do need primers because what i see here is that most of the times they don't even like understand they think they know you know a good scrum position but they're missing a lot of things so primers will have a benefit in that space at the elite level yeah in new zealand because of what I said before, the upbringing, you know, is with primers and scrum machines or whatever. I do think it has its benefits because it, it helps the players to get into kind of the zone, you know. Okay, we're going to scrum now.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: I, I need a couple of primers to get warm, to get connected, to get, I don't know, whatever you, you need. Uh, it's a good warm-up.
0: So it's, it's like, like mental, mental, physical activation before yes. you actually get into your mind session. A, okay. a
1: specific for scrums. Yeah, And then, uh, but as we're saying in England, it was straight away scrums. Let's go, let's scrum. We, we were warm up from something else in the session or we came from the gym. We're going to scrum boys. Mm-hmm. But over here is a different story. You need a couple of primers because the boys like it. right? And as long as they do it properly, I, I see benefits. The one you mentioned, the 4v4, I think you nailed it in the head over there. When you have a good group of players, it's actually very good to work on the tie head. Like when they attack him, so the loose the loose head yeah. tries to pop him up. It's really good. You never do that in the game, but you're actually increasing the the complexity and the um, challenge with that drill because you don't have the other side of the scrum. So it's basically you and the hooker, you know? So when you go to a full scrum, when you have a loose head on the other side, that will help you. It's way easier. You know what I mean? Does it make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do.
1: Okay. So it's... it's
0: yeah, it's, completely, completely. It, but
1: I, it, it's overcomplicating the role of the tie head. So, for example, you have what I'm saying. I, for example, I yeah. have a tie head that always turns in, like, you know, under pressure, goes in and attacks the opposition hooker. All right. Okay. That could be a tactic. But as long as you do it, you know, in your terms and when you're going forward, okay, there's no problem. But if you're getting turn in because you're, weak okay we're gonna work on you so we're gonna leave you there with a hooker i'm gonna put all the you know all the loose heads to attack you all the time okay an isometric so we're gonna crouch by fold in crouch by instead and then all right 10 seconds boys loose head attack there and he has to keep him out keep him out keep him out i see a benefit from that drill for that purpose so there are things that you have you can play around and you can oh, can oh, say construct to to improve some situations
0: in the game. I I feel I feel like a lot of people just do things that they've they've seen before, or that you know, like uh, when the All Blacks started going the splits the the split stance system for the scrums. I feel like people just copied it because it was the All Blacks, without actually really knowing the reasoning behind it.
2: Yeah, and I
0: feel like a lot of the the, the scrumming scrummaging drills are the same. And uh, in, in my view, if it's got a purpose like that. So you're actually trying to get something, an objective out of that drill, then it's a good drill. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily see a lot of coaches doing that. Would you, would you agree with that?
1: that? That happens in all areas of the game, like areas of the game.
0: It and does, then, doesn't
1: it? You know, and then, and then if, whichever coach is doing that is not really coaching because you need to understand what you're delivering and it has to be part of a plan. And he has to have a purpose. Um, and if you're not doing that, you're not coaching, just repeating whatever you saw and anybody can do that. Yeah. You know? But it, it does happen, man. It does happen. Happens a lot. And sometimes it's just people that don't know, just do I don't know. There's many, many reasons of that. But, okay, I, I don't, I don't, I, I cannot say that you can fix that yourself like- no no
0: it's more just an observation more just an observation um from like like i've done a lot of scrum coaching while i was playing mm-hmm.
2: um, and i
0: thought i thought about it a lot and and like i always wanted to be a coach and now jumping into the actual coaching world um you know you obviously look at other coaches and remember things cool. that you've seen and yeah,
2: yeah. and
0: and to me, the best coaches have a purpose for what they're doing, and it's not just let's just do something we've seen someone else do.
1: Well, that's that's you. That's very good. Like the, the best coaches has a purpose for what they're doing, and that's why, for example, I don't like to judge too much. For example, at a coach session, yeah, actually, no one wants trying to achieve. Yeah, I yeah. see a lot of coaches that are like, oh, this is this is shit, or this is this, and then. And I'm listening. Like, well, you actually don't. You haven't talked to the coach. Maybe he. I don't know. There must be way a lot of reasons why he's doing that. Yeah,
0: yeah, huh? yeah. So, so yeah. rather than just assume you it's shit, which is a very Australian thing for people to do, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, actually think about what they're doing, and you know, it's it's funny. I've I've had some exceptional scrum coaches, like. Uh, Dan Palmer at the Brumbies is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he actually played club rugby here at Southern Districts.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Unbelievable coach, mate. Unbelievable. Um, Cam Blades, who was a Waratah Ford's coach, coach here. Fantastic mm-hmm. coach. Uh, I've done stuff with Mario Ledesma.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I've been very lucky to have some exceptional coaches. Cool. Um, awesome. So one thing that they all they all had in common is that there was a purpose to what they were doing, and every everything uh, was like. Um, every scrummaging drill or drill they had was to, to improve an area of the
1: game. Yeah. Cool. If that
0: makes sense. I think it does.
1: Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. That's um, also common sense. You have to do something that has some relationship with what you're trying to achieve in a game. Yeah. You know? yeah. So you have to go like that.
0: Okay. Okay. So I'm thinking along the right track. Mate, let's talk. Can, can I ask you about what Nepo was doing um, in that photo that he sent me the other day? Because as you know, I posted it on social media and I, I've never had so many comments. So I think there's, there's other weirdos like you and me who love scrums, obviously in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, when I posted that, I've, I've had a few comments from um, guys playing it um, Japan top, top league. Uh, apparently it's become quite common over there for people to do it as well, cool. um, which I didn't know. And I'm, um, Got to make the place Pro-D2 in France, who, who has seen a lot of teams do that against him as well.
1: All right, good. Um,
0: so what, what's your take on it? Why would Nepo be doing that?
1: Uh, well, I actually asked a really good coach in New Zealand that is really well-connected with the All Blacks Scrammaging coach. And he, his comments were that he's just trying something new because... Um, in the All Blacks. Yeah, in, in the way that he was, Nepo, I think Nepo was getting a little bit overextended all the time. So he was trying a new band and see if that was going to help him. That's what that's one feedback I got, you know. Yeah. Might be that. Like the thing is, Nepo, it's it's a freak. He is a very big man, a very good prop. Yeah. So I guess he can change whatever he wants and he will be quite successful because he's... Definitely world class, you know, <laughs> in technique and yeah. everything. Uh, but, you know, I can tell you why we used to do it in club rugby in England. Yeah. And it was, we used it most of the times with a shorter tie head we had. And it was mainly on opposition ball to scrum to the right. Yeah. Right. Scrum to the right. And then the, 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 when you bind over the hooker as a tie head, it gives you the chance to get really, really forward and square.
2: Yeah.
1: And then you, your shoulder is going to be higher than your hooker's shoulder. So your hooker is going to be lower than your shoulder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if your hooker wants to attack the opposition hooker, you know, get underneath him, you know, it's going to be easier for him because his shoulder is going to be lower than yours. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes. So your shoulder yeah. Yeah. is going to be in contact with the hooker's shoulder, same level. And your hooker shoulder is going to be a little bit, you know, down, even lower, and it's going to be easier to get underneath, you know, the opposition hooker. Okay. But I saw that the Oblast were doing it in their own ball also. So. Yeah,
0: I did too. And Offa wasn't doing it. So it was only off- Nepo that was doing it.
1: It's just Nepo. So probably it's trying something new. Probably it's, you know, getting really, really ahead of the hooker and maybe protecting the hooker a little bit more because they knew that. The, the South Africans are quite strong, especially if Malcolm Marx is, is playing there because he's a strong hooker. Yeah. Uh, maybe you know he was going to attack Cody Taylor. So they were thinking of doing that to just to protect. I don't really I, I would love to talk to Greg Fick about it and then see what he can say. But um that would be what I can without knowing, I yeah. could be thinking that would be the reason, maybe.
0: But um I feel like I've chewed up too much of your time already.
1: This so, is fun, man. Yeah, mate. You know, it's good. We can go for a couple more minutes, mate. Don't worry.
0: Do they do much coach development with you guys in New Zealand? So, like, do you have the op- opportunity to go? What's the super rugby franchise in, in Hawks Bay area?
1: Hurricanes. Hurricanes.
0: Do, do you get to go and, um, you know, spend time with Dan Cron and do some yeah. stuff with him?
1: Yeah, well, two things. So, so, so Dan Cron is, is, is a very good man and he's very open. He, lo- he loves, worse than you and me, he loves to talk about scrums and he will, you know, give you his time, like time. you know, mm-hmm. he will, if you send him a text, he will respond, you know, he always give you an answer of your questions. And then he also organizes every year. Well, he did this year and he's planning to the next year. He, he, calls, um, he calls it the Scrum Week. So he brings one for one week, all the scrum coaches of the provinces of the Wellington area. And we yeah. went this year and spent um, a week with him and the other coaches over there, which was really, really good. And we had a lot of conversations like this, like we were in the office at of the, the hurricanes talking about scrummaging and people went, came in and said like,
0: Phew. How fucking good is that by the way?
1: Mate? Yeah. because we, <laughs> at one point it was fine because the scene was, we were sitting at a table, the TV was there with scrums, I think. And there's was, we went to grab lunch. So it was, fish and chips and you know and all that so a proper front row yeah you know, like <laughs> yeah. You know sitting down there and having a chat about binds and you know <laughs> locks you know set up and whatever while we were eating chips and fish and all that so yeah like um, with him is also very good because he's a very humble man and he will you know share anything he knows and he can help and then that week was quite good, actually, because I got the chance to talk to Greg Halford, which is the Wellington scrum coach, um, Greg Fleming, which is the Manawatu scrum coach, another coach from one of the Harland provinces that was around. So it's good. I think you learn a lot by just by talking to coaches, mate. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then, okay, so I've been doing this. What do you think about this? Well, I don't know. I'll give it a go and, and you know, ring you back. I think that's a lot of things come from from just talking to coaches. And I do believe my philosophy is about sharing everything you do because nobody's going to do it the same way as you do. It's
0: um, a lot of Kiwis are very – or people that I've spoken to involved with New Zealand rugby are very generous with what they know. Um, Wayne Smith told me that when, when Graham Henry was coach of the Blues, every year the winning franchise in New Zealand would present to all the other franchises what that team did. Yeah. and um, when he asked Graham about it, it, it the whole point of it was is so that he was forced to come up with new ideas
1: that's that's a very good reason to do it and the second one is that if you share what you did and what you was successful is that yeah. everyone is going to get better and then if you love this game the way I do and you do and most of the coaches do you want it to become better all the time Keep improving so, it's um, it's
0: yeah. It's, it's not an, a widely shared attitude in this country.
1: Not, not in every place in the world, to be honest.
0: It, it's uh, what I've noticed. And um, like I've formal education, I'm not very good with formal education, but doing these podcasts, I have learned so much talking to, you know, guys like yourself, um, Simon Cron, you know, Wayne, Pat Lamb. And, and you know, I was thinking about the other day, People are just generous. Like the good people who are good coaches tend to be very generous. In or and in my experience, you know,
1: good go. So say, I'm.
0: I, can, I,
1: get you know, just just take the sport out of that, mate. What do good people do in general? Like uh, yeah. we'll we share thoughts. We share his time. We will share his food. We share his whatever. You know, and if you're a good guy that happens to coach rugby you're going to share, share your knowledge also and help everybody that you can help because that will come back to you at some point absolutely you're doing that you're doing that by doing this podcast you know? well
0: i'm i've it's a, it's been a very uh, you know obviously i get lots of messages from people so i try and uh, pass it on because people like yourself have been good enough to pass on your time and what you know to me Mm -hmm. um so you kind of you have to pass it on because it's i don't know it just it just feels like the right right thing to do
1: okay so it's my it's my time to ask questions go for it how did you you know ended up doing a podcast mate you know um so you you always wanted to be a coach but this kind of podcaster you know thing why how so (laughs) i was interested in your thoughts in your reasons mate you know yeah
0: no no, it's a good question and it's kind of evolved over time but Initially, so I make highlight reels for a living. So uh, okay. an agent will, or a player will go, hey, can you make um, highlights for this guy? And, like I've done half the minor 10 Cup at this point or buttons, oh. whatever it is. I've, I've, I've done a lot of players. I've done All Blacks. So that all happened by accident. And then last year with the COVID lockdown in Sydney, I went from absolutely killing it, well, not killing it, but the best of business had ever been, to overnight world sports stopping, mm-hmm. community sports stopping, and yeah. I had nothing. <laughs> so it was literally overnight, and I, I've gone, okay, making video. I love making videos. I love rugby, but it's it's quite limiting in, in what you can do. So I'm going, you know what? I, I'm good at talking shit. I know a few interesting people. Yeah. Uh, let's start a podcast and see if I can get my friends on it. <laughs> Uh, little did i know episode four i was speaking to pat lamb who was you know as you know in the coaching world he's a fucking rock star yeah you know then i spoke to kieran reed then michael hooper and i've gone fuck you know (laughs) i I might be onto something and and it's initially what my thinking was is that rugby in this country does a very poor job of telling stories of the people involved -hmm. So, my theory is that if I know something about you, I'm going to be more likely to follow Hawks Bay and be interested in your career than I would if I didn't know you. Yeah, of course. And the media and the people running the game here, in my view, do not do a good enough job to tell the story of the people involved. Mm -hmm. So, that was originally why that was the thought process behind it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And now it's kind of evolved because of Mm -hmm. all the stuff I'm learning and the feedback I've been getting to be. Um you know it's kind of a tool for coaches but it's it's a personal development tool for yeah. you know I, I want to make the most of my own life and my own potential and I feel like if I can do that on here and share it with people then other people will benefit from it as well so rather than just being a rugby or a coaching podcast um that's that's the idea behind it.
1: That's beautiful man that's a really really good man. Um, I, I to be honest I without because we have a common friend, Matthias, which is a right man, where it's Like now, crazy, beautiful soul, you know, from Argentina, uh, connected us. Uh, I actually listened to a couple of your podcasts, which really good.
0: which blows me away just quietly. Um, and it, it, you know, it, you know, Anthony Seabold, who's now the England defense coach, the Broncos yeah. and Rabbitohs coach, mm-hmm. he he fucking knew who I was, which is like crazy to me because i i listened to when i first got interested in coaching he was one of the first people i came across in podcasts and someone that i found very interesting to listen to with the way he spoke and the way he thought Mm -hmm. um so he was a rock star to me but yeah mate it's it's a huge compliment so you know
1: oh man i listened to you and i actually follow your instagram account and i thought like oh this is actually quite good and then Matias, well, Matthias, you know, put us in contact. And then you know, we had a, a conversation about scrums briefly on WhatsApp. So like, yes, mate, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be good friends. So
0: well, mate, I appreciate it, mate. It's all it it's the the best thing that's come out of this is is um connecting with people who are who are like-minded, so you know
1: just so I've got another question, mate.
0: Go for it, mate. I've got all day.
1: Okay. <laughs> Do you have any one chai stories that you can share one chai
0: i'd never liked one chai, mate i i
1: (laughs) (laughs) can you explain to the people what's one chai uh,
0: so so hong Kong. so i actually grew up in hong kong i lived there till i was eight yeah i lived there till i was eight and um matthias i can't remember how he ended up at my place but i just remember him coming and you know he's a super motivated fantastic human being and I'm going, i've gone i've remember meeting him and talking to him and looking at all the stuff he was doing and you know he only ate mints and eggs and didn't drink
2: and <laughs> right and, and he would like he
0: would go and sprint on the street in uh mongkok which is like the most densely populated suburb in the world so he'd go out in the street and sprint just to burn some calories and I remember looking at him, going, "Why the fuck are you in Hong Kong? Like you're way too good for this place. <laughs> it's for people like me who are not <laughs> who are not so good." And um, so there's two two red light districts in, in Hong Kong. There's Leng uh, Lengkui Fong and Wan Chai. Yep. Um, I guess how I look at Wan Chai is it's more for sort of middle-aged businessmen <laughs> who are looking to sort of hide a little bit <laughs> from the realities of life. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Lanquai Fogs maybe the the younger party crowd. So yeah. I, I would always gravitate more towards Lanquai, but once chai you know, <laughs> well,
1: the occasional, occasional you know, trip to one chai. It oh, very,
0: a- very <laughs> occasionally. Very I remember ending up there. So the Brits didn't really do silly Sunday or Mad Monday like we do. Um and there's a lot of Brits in the team I was playing for over there and Ending up in one time on Monday or Tuesday afternoon with a couple of them, and you
1: know, breeds mate, breeds are the breeds mate, they're they're a different species, mate.
0: Oh mate, it's it's, you know, I love living in Sydney. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you check us out on social media at Facebook or Instagram at Wandering Bear Sports, or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Duncan Chubb um if you enjoy it please tell someone please share it please like it please comment all that sort of stuff it all makes a huge difference so we'll see you guys next week thank you so much